Hello and welcome to SouthPod. I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Damien Gormley to the show today. Um, Damien is our Deputy Medical Director with the Trust and he's going to walk us through all of the real-time data that we've been using to plan and to manage our services as we move through this pandemic. If you want to actually see the data, you can switch over to our new channel, Trust TV, and you'll be able to watch the video of this interview there. Damon, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, Beth. You also have another important role uh, with the Trust. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I suppose, as well as being a consultant geriatrician, I'm also the CCIO, which stands for the Chief Clinical Information Officer within the Trust. I suppose at its simplest, that's really trying to join up the clinical staff with the information and with the IT staff as well. So it's trying to make sure that we put as much information into the hands of our frontline workers so that they use that information to help to develop their services as well, rather than seeing information just as a reporting mechanism, but we really use that information and that it's real time and it's not people's fingertips. And certainly as we move through this pandemic, real-time data has been absolutely critical in supporting the planning and delivery of our services. So, Damien, if we look at that data today, what story does it tell us? Well, it tells us a lot, Ruth. What we know when a pandemic is that things tend to follow trends. Um, and we can tend to predict about what's going to happen with some degree of confidence. We can tell a lot by what's already happened within the pandemic, and we can tell a lot by what we know about the virus. So if we take an example, we know that if transmission within our community is high, we know that a certain number of the people who get infected within the community will get sick. We will also know a certain number of those patients will get very sick and end up in hospital. We'll also know then that a proportion of those will end up in intensive care. And Unfortunately, a small proportion will also lose their life to COVID. And we also know the time limits within that. So we know, for example, you'll get infected within the community. In average, you'll get five days until you start to develop symptoms. It'll be another couple of days until you get tested. It will then probably be about five to seven days until you get sick and end up in hospital. We know roughly how long people stay in hospital. We know the number of people who end up in intensive care. So if we know what's going on within our community, we can tell with a fairly high degree of confidence what's coming down the track to us in two, three, four weeks' time. So critical that we have accurate data as well to, to paint that. And I'm thinking back to, to last month when we knew we hit the peak, really, of, of the surge. If, if we look today, is there good news, Damien? Are we starting to see a gradual decline? What I could maybe do, Ruth, is just take you straight to some of the information that we have to hand uh, and let you see for yourself. So what I'm going to show you is some of the information that we rely on on a real-time basis to tell us what's currently going on, what has happened in the past, and what may then happen in the future. So the first thing I'm going to show you is just going to walk you through the number of people who've been in hospital with COVID-19 through this journey. And if we think back, we're almost one year into this journey now. So we started around the start of March time when we started to get inpatients. And we know that in surge one, which is here around the end of April time, the most people we had in hospital 
was just over 60, 62 patients. And then what we know is that as community transmission went down really, really significantly over the summer months and lockdown was really uh, effective, we know that community transmission dropped dramatically and we had very, very few admissions to hospital and hence very few people in hospital. Then as we went into surge two and community measures were released, such as restaurants opening, bars opening, eat out to help out, schools going back, all of those things increased contacts within the community and drove up transmission. So what we then saw was this very steady increase in hospital admissions to a point where we had 129 people in hospital at the start of November time. We then know that again, lockdown came in again, transmission went down, admissions go down, occupancy goes down. And we know then as well, as we came into the start of December, community measures were lifted a little bit more. And again, we saw this very significant rise right up to an extremely high peak at the start of January time of 299 patients in hospital. So that was almost five times what we had in surge one. And now we have thankfully started to see somewhat of a decline in our hospital admissions and in our hospital numbers, but still we remain with very, very high numbers of patients across our site, currently sitting at 187, which is still much higher than in surge two and much higher than in surge one, but thankfully on the way down. Yes, it's going and certainly going in the right direction. But Damien, what are the implications of, of this on our ability to rebuild our services and for those staff who have been redeployed within the system? Well, what we know, Ruth, is that as COVID puts stress on our uh, systems, um, it puts stress on our ability to deliver other services. Uh, and the other thing that we know is that most of the people who work within our organisations are members of our community as well. So as the virus spreads through the community, it doesn't spare our, our members of staff. So we end up with almost this perfect storm of a very, very high demand due to COVID. The inability to manage that demand and then a diminishing resource in terms of our staff because they will often be off because they're sick or because they've been in contact with somebody who's been sick as well. So that puts in a real additional resource uh, demand onto our services as well. So we're, we're existing at much, much higher than our capacity. So if we took, for example, our intensive care, um, normally in the region, we have 72 intensive care beds. Normally locally, we have seven intensive care beds. Currently, we have up to 16 intensive care beds locally. And as of today, most of those are occupied. That means we have to take staff from other areas, such as theatres, to man that intensive care because of the demand. And then that impacts on our ability to deliver that service. So we all link it back to our community transmission. We need to get the community let the transmission levels down. That then helps us to reduce the hospital admission numbers and then helps us to free up that other capacity elsewhere. So with, with those very high numbers of patients still in our system, does that mean we continue to face challenges with regard to nosocomial spread within our facilities? Can the data help us with this in any way? I think it can. If we go back to, to the uh, original uh, sheet here, which shows us the number of people in hospital, 
the thing that we can see very clearly is if we link our community transmission numbers to that as well, I've just dropped in there the Northern Ireland community transmission numbers. In Surge 1, we didn't have a lot of testing within the community, so those matched very closely. But what you can see is, as I was trying to describe, the purple shows the Northern Ireland community transmission. So transmission goes up first, and then hospital occupancy goes up thereafter. As community transmission comes down, hospital occupancy comes down. But what also tends to happen is that we tend to rise up much more quickly than we go down. And if we look at the Southern Trust population, which I'm now going to drop in on the blue, what we can see is that surge one and surge two, the Southern Trust transmission rates within the community roughly matched the Northern Ireland transmission rates. But what we've seen in surge two is this huge rise, uh, much, much higher than the Northern Ireland population. And if I could just zoom in and just for one little minute and describe to you what happened around Christmas, it might help us to describe what's going to happen going forward as well. So around Christmas time, uh, we had a community transmission rate of approximately 242 per 100,000 of the population. And that matched pretty much the purple number there in Northern Ireland. In just nine days, that rate went from 242 to 925. So that was almost a quadrupling of our community transmission rate. And it's that which drove our very, very high admissions to hospital. And as I said before, we are coming down, but we're coming down slowly. And where we are today is at a community transmission of 230, which is almost exactly where we were on Boxing Day. So it took us nine days to climb up that mountain and it will take us much longer. We're now four and a half weeks since we were at the peak of that mountain to come down. And what we know is that something probably a little bit different drove this very, very high transmission rate. And that might have been because we had much higher levels of new variant uh, within our own community. So as transmission rates are very high within the community, we will also know then that that may very well spill over to transmission within the hospital. So if you've got a virus that can replicate at this rate and infect this number of people in such a short period of time, then although we will do everything that we can to reduce transmission within hospitals, it is likely that some of that will also translate into nosocomial and hospital spread as well, Ruth. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that, that makes it really stark. Um, the high price we paid for, for all of the Christmas dinners. Um, I suppose that's another benefit really of the, the data whenever you have a maybe a gap in your knowledge or, or the information, it almost points you towards the unanswered questions. And you, you mentioned then about the, the local district council area and maybe there's some other factors at play here. Um, is it, I mean, we know that the Kent variant um, is the predominant variant at the moment. But does this make you think there's something else? You know, could it be one of the other variants? Is there anything that the data can tell us about this at the moment? So we can look to see what might be happening within our local community by using other data sources. And one of the sources that we can use is an open source that Google produces as well. And it's freely available on the internet. And what they look at is, for example, well, what, what way has our behavior changed in comparison to what it might have been one year ago. And one year ago, 
uh, or in January time as our baseline, we were not in a pandemic. And we can look, for example, and we can look at our Armagh City, Banbridge, Craig Alvin, and see what's been happening. And what we can see there is then there's been a real very significant decline in the amount of shopping we're doing in comparison to normal. So we have a 53% decline in shopping, 23% decline in our supermarket use parks. We haven't changed too much and we can look to see how often we're going to work. So declines in work as well, design a slight increase then in the time that we spend at home. And I can then jump across and look at Belfast. Well, how does that compare to Belfast? And what we see is that actually our communities appeared as though they were behaving pretty much the same. Everybody was being as compliant as they could be and that those were directly transferable. And we could even jump across to somewhere like Manchester and it would tell us a very, very similar story. So that makes us think about what might be different about our community if the behaviour isn't different. And one of the more logical conclusions might be that we have a slightly different virus within our community. And there are many things that we know about virus. We expect our viruses to change. That's just what happens. They mutate as they go through a pandemic. And we know that with some of the new variants, they tend to spread more easily with. They're not necessarily uh, more virulent in the disease that they cause, but they jump from one person to another much more closely. And it is that that is probably the most likely explanation for why our local government districts saw that very high rise that I showed you uh, before. But also we're slightly encouraged by the fact that with the really, really good adherence that our community have had, that we are seeing those rates to coming down, but we need to drive down those rates further. How have you been able to use this data to help us predict the supply and demand on our resources? Well, we know we knew as a result of uh, the relaxation of measures around Christmas that community transmission was going to go up very significantly. And we knew that that was then going to result in a significant rise in our hospital admissions. And if I go back to looking at many people were being admitted to hospital uh, at any time, this is the number of admissions that we were getting on a daily basis. So in surge one, we got about eight or nine admissions per day. Surge two went up to about 15 admissions per day. And what we knew is that at the start of January time, um, that admissions were likely to go much higher than that. So at this stage at the peak, we were getting 42 admissions per day. And we knew that at that stage, that was putting a real significant demand on our resources. And one of those precious resources was oxygen. Um, so we knew also what was going to come in the following days as well. So in a very planned way, Ruth, what we were able to say to the regional colleagues was, our admission rates are going up as we expected them to do, or oxygen is going to go up very significantly. We knew there was always enough oxygen in Northern Ireland to serve the needs of the population, but it also looked as though with a Southern trust, we might get into difficulty. So we were able to use the data to predict how many people were going to come in and what that oxygen demand was. And then what you've seen here in this little dip down was where we had a regional plan divert to take some of the patients from the Southern Trust to other parts of Northern Ireland where that uh, resource was not under quite such demand. So you've taken us back there to that um, peak period just at the start of the year. Are you able to look forward and predict over the next couple of weeks how many COVID positive patients we might expect coming through our system? We can. We'll always get little ups and downs. And sometimes if we just kind of look at a rolling average, it smooths the picture out a little bit. 
So what we've seen is that we, over the last week or so, we've seen a decline in our admission numbers. The last couple of days, we almost have to ignore because all the tests aren't back yet. But we expect over the coming weeks for those numbers to drop, but still fairly significantly. So we still expect to be getting 10 to 15 admissions per day over at least the next two to three weeks. And thereafter, that number to come down, but it will come down slowly. It will not drop as sharply as this shows because we won't have a divert on at that period of time. So yes, we can use the data, provided the community transmission continues to decrease, then admissions will continue to decrease, but over a slower period of time. Really. Can any of us access this information? You mentioned there the source on Google. Um, where do we go to find these figures? Yeah, so I, I'm one of the things that I am most keen about is putting information into the hands of people who might find it useful. So we've put all of this onto the trust intranet. So if I take you back to where we started, uh, this is all available under the ClickSense favourites. Uh, within our trust internet. If you click on click, you'll come to a landing site such as this. It will have this tile which shows you all of the information that I've just described today. Then if you click into our management app as well, it brings all sorts of different uh, information to you, some of which may be of interest to some people. So we can look at, for example, our lab testing or bed occupancy or admissions, what's arriving within our emergency department, what our oxygen levels are. We can look at, unfortunately, the number of people who have lost their lives. And we can cross-reference all of that data to our care home information, our COVID centers, our staff testing. So all of this is openly available to everybody. We do not want to siphon off data to make it not available. It's important that we get as much of this information into people. If it helps with the messaging, great. If it helps with planning, great as well. So all of that is openly available to everybody. So any amount of facts at our fingertips, we just have to go and look for them. And it's, this data, you know, it obviously helps us to predict how this virus might behave. And Damien, today you've at least given us some hope that there's light at the end of this very long, dark tunnel. But you mentioned earlier, we can't drop our guard just yet. What do we still need to do? We need to, if you go back and look at the initial graph that I showed you, our community transmission numbers now, although on the way down, are still as high as they nearly ever have been apart from the peak of surge through. We need to get our community transmission levels down to the levels that we saw in the summer. When community transmission is low, nobody or very few people are getting sick. That means that we have space within our hospital to do all of the things that we want to do, all of those sick patients that we need to look after as well. It also helps to protect our staff as well. So now is not the time to take our foot off the accelerator. We've shown over the last four and a half weeks that with good compliance, we can drive infection rates down, but we need to keep it going. Thank you, Damien. Thank you, Damien.